attentive. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Peace be with you, the reader. Scripture has said, Out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This is really the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. 
The officers then went back to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Are you led astray, you also? Have any of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, who do not know the law, are accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and you will see that no prophet is to rise from Galilee. Again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of number 7 times itself, which is 49, and that means that the coming of the Holy Spirit is the perfect fulfillment of Christ's ministry and the launching forward of the church. But there's another meaning, too, that the fathers have looked at, and it's the 49 plus 1, because the perfect number, 49, and then you add to it the notion of a day that never ends, eternity. And so we know that the Holy Spirit is coming, brings forth with Him eternity, the promise of eternal life. It also was a Jewish feast. And if we think about the context, we know that pilgrims from all over the inhabited world in the empire and even beyond the Roman Empire would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And then they would stay those 50 days in whatever dwellings they either brought with them or could find until the fulfillment of Pentecost. And then and only then would they go and return back to their homes. And this is why on this 50th day, as the epistle reading says, that we have people who spoke all these different languages from all these different places. And I won't read them all. Uh, Lucas did a great job doing that. But there were literally thousands of people in and around Jerusalem that would not otherwise have been there to witness what happened on this day. 
And it's also interesting that our Lord, just before His ascension, made the point of coming and gathering His apostles and His disciples and recapping for them what all of the prophets had said concerning Him. That He would rise from the dead and that these followers would preach this resurrection. That they would be witnesses of this. Not only eyewitnesses of what happened, but witnesses to the ends of the earth. And then He told them, but do not go anywhere. Do not do anything until you receive power from on a high. You are to wait in Jerusalem until that time. I find that extremely significant. Because it's really impossible for us to accomplish anything that the Lord wants us to do without the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And even these great men who, with the Holy Spirit, were within their own lifetime able to turn the Roman Empire upside down, without Him, were told just to stay and wait. So this provides us the context for this feast. And at about 9 o'clock in the morning, as the disciples, including the apostles, were in the upper room where they spent a lot of time together in fellowship. This is the same upper room that the mystical supper was celebrated. It was the same upper room that they went to on the day of our Lord's resurrection where Jesus appeared to them when Thomas was missing. It was the same upper room on the eighth day when Jesus again appeared to them, this time in the presence of Thomas. This same upper room was where the Holy Spirit came. And He didn't come quietly. He came with a rush of mighty wind. So people could, with their senses, apprehend and understand that a phenomenon outside the norm was taking place. And this was for a purpose. The Lord wanted these people who were pilgrims, who had either heard about what Jesus had done, or had seen it themselves and were still processing it, the Lord wanted them to be able to, with their senses, detect something going on and to follow it to the source, to the place. And so they followed this rush of mighty wind to the upper room and they gathered around where they were able to see the apostles and the other disciples speaking in languages that they did not otherwise know through learning, through schooling. So that all of these Parthians and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and beyond were hearing them preach and teach about the mighty works of Jesus Christ and what had happened in their own language. This is the first century manifestation of tongues. A sign that the Holy Spirit had come upon them and had given them voice to be able to preach the good news in a language that they couldn't know so that it would go out to all the earth. And it's interesting that in last night's Vesper service, the Theotokian of the Apostica says this, Tongues were confused once 
And we know what that refers to, the Tower of Babel. Because these human beings, out of their own pride and their own self-sufficiency, thought of their own power and intelligence and might, that they would be able to build a tower up to the heavens and be like God, if not greater than God. And so God confused their tongues so that they could no longer speak to each other and understand one another. He confused them and put them into a, a situation of chaos so they were unable to complete the tower. They were humble and they were scattered and dispersed at that time. The hymn goes on and says, Tongues were confused once because people dared to build the tower. Tongues now obtain skill for the glory of divine knowledge. There God condemned the impious for their transgression. Here, by the Spirit, Christ illumined the fishermen. Then discord was contrived as penalization. Now a new concord or harmony has arrived for the salvation of our souls. So although all of these people spoke different languages... Because of the power of the Holy Spirit and this gift of tongues, they were all brought to unity and harmony in the gospel by this power that was made manifest. Now we know that not everybody believed. There were obviously some there that marveled and their hearts were open and they had faith and they were listening and they were giving glory to God. But there were others whose hearts were hardened and they did not see with the eyes of their soul. They saw with a rational point of view. And because they couldn't understand this phenomenon taking place, they attributed it to it another cause. And they accused the apostles of being drunk with wine. And it gave Peter, the spokesperson for the twelve and all the other disciples, the opportunity to get up and give a defense for what was taking place. And he preached this long, spirit-filled, powerful, grace-filled sermon. And if the tongues and the rush of the mighty wind and the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and the fulfillment of Christ's words weren't enough, this one sermon converted on the spot 3,000 souls. And they were baptized on that day and added to the church. Can you imagine? And it wasn't that Peter said anything that in and of itself, by his own articulation and his own human gifts could change anybody's heart. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit that filled his words with power and let those words sink right to the place where these people needed to have it impact so that they would open their hearts and become Christians on that day. And then, because of the Holy Spirit in them, these same men who cowered before and who were filled with the instinct of self-preservation, who were afraid that they might be treated just like Jesus, who hid from both the Romans and the Jewish police force of the temple. Now they drew lots. They found out where the Holy Spirit was going to send them. And every one of them to a man including John, who did not die a martyr's death, but lived to an old age, fell asleep in the Lord, but lived a confessor's life. He was 
poisoned. They tried to boil him alive in oil. They exiled him. They did everything that they could to try to kill him. But God allowed him to live to an age of over a hundred. But every one of the other apostles, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, were given not only wisdom, not only the virtues, but also great courage to go out and to preach the good news to the whole world, performing signs and miracles and giving their life for the faith that they held. I want to read to you a beautiful hymn that comes from this feast. And it really says almost everything. Quote, The Holy Spirit provides all, overflows with prophecy, fulfills the priesthood, has taught wisdom to illiterates, has revealed fishermen as theologians. He, meaning the Holy Spirit, brings together the whole council of the church. My dear brothers and sisters, what we're to take from this Feast of Pentecost is that it's not enough just to be baptized and chrismated. It's not enough just to be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because we know that the apostles too had been baptized. That they had had hands laid on them. That Jesus had even breathed the Holy Spirit on them after His resurrection. But He still said, don't do anything until that great day of Pentecost. Until the Holy Spirit comes in His fullness and He comes upon you and the whole church. This is why the fathers say that really this is the birth of the New Testament church. The beginning. Because until the Holy Spirit came, they really did not have the power or the ability of themselves to do anything. We're to take that it's not enough just to have received the gift. We need to be ever filled even more, day by day, by the conscious choice of our decisions with the Holy Spirit. And I want to close by reading some quotes to you. St. Simeon the New Theologian says this, The aim of all those who live is to please our Lord Jesus Christ and become reconciled with God the Father through receiving the Holy Spirit, thus securing their salvation. St. Seraphim of Sarah says, The true purpose of our Christian life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit of God. He goes on to say, and of course this is one of his most famous, well-known quotes, Acquire the Spirit of Peace, meaning the Holy Spirit, and a thousand souls around you will be saved. We are to not just have received the gift, but now through our life to more fully acquire the Holy Spirit. St. Seraphim of Seraph says it in very simple ways. He says, and these are just practical admonitions for everyday Christian life. You cannot be too gentle. You cannot be too kind. Shun even to appear harsh in your treatment to one another. 
Joy, radiant joy, streams from the face of Him who gives and kindles joy in the heart of Him who receives. Again, he says, All condemnation is from the devil. Therefore, never condemn another person. Instead of condemning others, strive to have inner peace. And then a third admonition, keep silent. Retain, refrain from judgment. This will raise you above the deadly arrows of slander, insult, and outrage, and will shield your glowing heart against all evil. Today, after this divine liturgy, we will have the kneeling vespers almost seamlessly after we finish with through the prayers. And there's three different sets of really long prayers that we kneel for the first time since before Pascha. And it's interesting that the very first section of the, uh, of the prayers talks about our repentance. It really reminds us that without the offering of repentance, we cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second part is prayers that really are, are asking the Holy Spirit to help us in many and varied ways. And then the third, the longest section of prayers, is a commemoration of all those who have gone before us, who have fallen asleep, who have, by the Holy Spirit, been united to God. And it's interesting in the liturgical life of the church that from this day forward, all of the rest of the liturgical year until we reach the Triodion once again, all time, all references in the church refer back to Pentecost. Next Sunday, the Sunday of All Saints, is the first Sunday after Pentecost. And the church, by doing this, is telling us that all of time, all of our actions, all of our accomplishments, all of our good deeds, every virtue, every good thought, every good inclination in us, moving forward, from this day forward, can be credited to the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and in the church, moving us forward in time and space ever closer to the kingdom of God. So a happy feast of Pentecost to each of us and to all of us. Amen.